0: Minus 10, 9, you're listening to the Launchpad Podcast 6, with J-Man, 5, brought to you by Galant Media, 2, one. here's your host, Ignition. J-Man. Hey, how you doing? J-Man here, and you have it locked to the Launchpad Podcast. You can find it online at the Launchpadpodcast.com, and you can subscribe at youtube.com slash J-Man is Alive. I'm very happy to have this guest on the program. He's an Ottawa native. Uh, He's won a great cup. He's an academic and he is now an entrepreneur. And I can't wait to talk to him about his strength and conditioning, as well as his nutrition background. We have Pat Woodcock on the program. How are you doing there,
1: brother? I am doing good, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So I want to start off with your time in Ottawa. Now, I've talked to other players that played in Ottawa, and they don't have too much great things to say in regards to their <laughs> tenure there. What was your experience like here in the nation's capital playing football?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was kind of a tale of, of two, two sides of, of a coin, I think. Um, you know, the football side of it was a battle, and, you know, we, we didn't win a lot of games, and you know, obviously management was what it was, but uh, at the same time, it was it was always a dream of mine to come back and play for the hometown team that I sat in the stands cheering for um, and to be able to play in front of family and friends who supported me forever. And uh, the reality is there's more guys that I keep in touch with today from that team than any other team that I've played on. So um, there's pros and cons, obviously, in, in every situation. The football side of it was, was definitely challenging, but I have a lot of great memories from it at the same time.
0: And what do you think ties you together with the people here from Ottawa and those teammates opposed to all the others?
1: <laughs> Struggling through adversity together. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: Trying to sticking together and, and trying to, uh, trying to, you know, keep each other up and keep each other motivated. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, those, those, uh, bonds of brotherhood are foreign forged in, in times of toughness and, and, uh, That was definitely, from a football perspective, that was definitely a challenging couple of years.
0: Right. And and interesting, you say, you know, through adversity, right? Because there's obviously growth in adversity. What would be the one life lesson that being on that team in those years taught you?
1: Um, I think it's just that, you know seasons come and go and I mean football is obviously a perfect analogy for that when the season ends you have a fresh opportunity in in the next season Um, but that applies to life as well too right we go through different seasons in life some are going to be really good some are going to be a little bit down but it's never going to stay the same all the time you always have an opportunity to kind of get a fresh start um, and and come back out from that adversity hopefully stronger than when you went in Right.
0: Okay. You're such a well-spoken guy. I knew you're the right guy. I wanted to talk to you for a while. So I'm glad uh, this is happening.
1: I've been doing this for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, also it
0: comes down to, you know, academics as well. So you went to Syracuse and you you graduated with honors. Yeah. With a grade point average above three yeah I think yeah. I scraped by with the two in radio
1: broadcasting.
0: <laughs> I'm doing all right,
1: <laughs> yeah totally, absolutely. I mean it's you know grades are grades, and you know there's there's something to be said for those, but as you well know they're they're not to the be all and the end all and you know people learn in different ways and and um there's lots of different ways to educate yourself beyond just you know going to school, but you know that said i School was always kind of a strong point of mine. I, I took it seriously and um, I, uh, I found it challenging, but in a good way that I wanted to excel at it uh, the way I did with anything else.
0: Right. Now I'm curious with football being kind of like, oh, the bronze stuff, right? Is, is, yes, there, yeah. is there something in there? Like would you get razzed or teased by teammates for being, you know, the, the, the intelligent guy on the team, like the guy that was superseding beyond sport.
1: Uh, No, no, not at all. I mean, I wasn't the only one. There was there's lots of guys who were uh, who were were good in academics. There's lots of guys at at both ends of the spectrum, of course. Um, But no, not at all. I mean, I think a lot of guys uh, respected that fact the way that I was able to kind of do a little bit of everything. And and that's partly probably why I was named as a captain as a senior, just because I kind of had everything kind of in a row and, and was trying to, trying to be at my best in, in all avenues. So, uh, But, you know, there was a guy that I played with that's a doctor now, so I wasn't the only one. Right?
0: <laughs> so you had a pretty successful run. You had some really great stats. You were known for being one of the fastest guys in the league. Uh, you know, your average yards per catch on, on two occasions, I believe, led the league. Um, right I know for one year for sure I think it was 23.9 yep. uh yeah something around
1: that yeah yeah you're like I don't want to brag but <laughs> and you well, saw... when you, when you're the smallest guy in the field you got to be able to run away from people right, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's better than me I just turtle I, I turtle
1: yeah yeah <laughs> and,
0: and you saw success very early on in your career winning a great cup and not only that uh, there's a lot of people that just play in great cups you were part of that Grey Cup. Uh, You had a big 99-yard reception as well. Uh, You got MVP honors. What was it like to have success that early in your career, that level of success that people can only dream of?
1: Right. Uh, Obviously, from um, right at that moment, it, it was amazing, right? It was kind of the culmination of a lot of uh, dreams from back in the day when I was a little kid and, and dreamed of, you know, winning a great cup and winning the championship and scoring a big touchdown, all those things that you think about when you're running around in the backyard by yourself, you know, as a, as a young kid and dreaming of those things. Um, it was fantastic and it was awesome. It was a great way to kind of kickstart my career. Uh, at the same time, I think it, you know, because I was on such a good team those first few years, It created an unrealistic expectation that, hey, we can get to the Great Cup anytime we want. We can just go, you know, we can do this whenever, you know, do two or three more times and and that kind of stuff. And the reality is, you know, everybody has a chance every year. And um, depending on what team you're on and how things are going, you may only get one or two opportunities at it. So um, it was obviously great to be in it. And I had a chance to play in two and win one. Um, But, uh, you know, obviously I would have liked to hit a couple more as I went along. Right. So yeah. you fulfill those childhood dreams
0: yeah. and, and let's speak about that childhood, like what football yeah. meant to you. Were there other, spark, uh, other sports that you were also involved in and this was just the one that you decided to go with? Speak to me on that.
1: Yeah, I, I loved uh, in high school, I really loved playing basketball and uh, I always loved track. I still love track. Uh, loved doing that in high school as well. Uh, but football, like that was that was kind of our house's, like, that was the sport. Like, my parents both played touch football when I was growing up. Uh, we always watched the CFL. That was, you know, they watched that over the NFL. So I was just surrounded by football all the time when I was a kid. So it was just kind of a natural, uh, I think, progression for me to kind of get into it as soon as I could. Um, and then, I you know, I, obviously, I was relatively good at it when I got started. And, you know, you have success and you want to keep going and those type of things. So, you know, obviously, I was better suited as a football player than as a basketball player. Um, and... Uh, and certainly track as well. Like I was, I was good in high school, but I wasn't going to progress very far beyond that in, in track and field. So, uh, thankfully, my skill set, you know, lent itself to continuing to improve as I got older and and through college and the pros, and uh, allowed me the opportunity to keep playing as long as I could.
0: Right. And uh, interesting dynamic. I was listening to uh, another podcast, Matt Hatfield, and yes, you were talking about your love for the CFL and the gray cup was a a really big deal uh, in in your family. And I thought it was really interesting because as we spoke before we started to record for everyone, generally starting off in football, the goal is to play in in the NFL, which you did. Right. And of course, you know, winning the super bowl, but the gray cup for you was kind of the, that was the pinnacle.
1: (laughs) Right. And and I think maybe that's probably just a, a function of, like I said, you know, the way my parents watched football. Um, the CFL was better than the NFL in our house. And and the Grey Cup was a more important day than the Super Bowl day in our house. So for me growing up, that was just always the thing, the Grey Cup, the Grey Cup, the Grey Cup. And so that just kind of becomes ingrained in it, right? And you become a football player and you're obviously in a CFL city. So you have the hometown team, you know, right in front of you and you kind of get attached to that. And um, that for me was always uh like yeah like you said the pinnacle um and you know the NFL really didn't even enter my mind until I was a couple years into college and starting to have a little bit of success and oh wow that might be a possibility Mm -hmm. because that wasn't the norm
0: then for CFL players or Canadian players to be playing uh in the NFL so who who dropped that in your ear and was that uh Something that you believed to be a reality, was that something that you were manifesting, or were you surprised that was something that was going to happen for you
1: uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was it was just a matter of um you know th- those first couple of years that I when I started playing and having some success and, and obviously contributing as a receiver on the team you know you see your teammates getting drafted and okay well if he got drafted like I'm pretty close to him and so I can probably do this and well he's playing for a few years and I played against him so I know I can beat him a little bit so you know it just kind of enters your mind as you go along uh, at least it did for me because like I said I didn't have that that idea when I first went to college it was more just earn the scholarship and see what happens. Um, and then, yeah, gradually you just, you have success and nobody came out and said, you can do this. It was more a case of, like I said, you, you see some other guys doing it. You see some teammates doing it. You figure, yeah. well, I'm kind of on the same level as those guys are. So let's make this a new goal and, and go after it. Right.
0: Okay. And I'm glad you said that because that segues nicely into mindset and, yes. Maybe this is a little bit on the side, but I think it's really important. And I always like getting inside an athlete's brain, especially when you have a level of success, uh, you know, that you have. And ego must be something that's hard to keep in check, right? You're just, (laughs) there's regular people. Let's just be realistic, right? There's regular people and then there's pro athletes and you're a pro athlete. And you, you had to have noticed along the way uh, that there's a way that you're treated that's differently than others i went to uh, a semestered school so i had a lot of the ottawa 67s go to my school and you right. know not to call anybody out but i think a guy's name was like blallon mclaughley and he, <laughs> he never showed up to school like the guy was always yeah. on crutches, he never showed up to school but he graduated uh, Brian right. Campbell was another one of those individuals, right? So some people kind of get a, a little bit of a free ride. Obviously, you, you did not. Uh, so what yeah. was it like separating who you are from, you know, your, your ego and not letting the ego take control?
1: Uh, I think that really comes down a lot to the people you have around you. Um, so, you know, my family and, you know, I've been with my girlfriend since high school. Now my wife, uh, and my my friends that I've had, you know, since I was in high school and stuff, they did a great job of keeping me grounded and not, you know, not letting me get out of control. And I don't think I ever really did uh, get out of control, but just, you know, I think when you have people around you that treat you the same as you were before. They don't treat you any different because you've achieved this or done that. Um, That goes a long way in terms of, you know, keeping yourself in check. Um, And I think just the understanding from my perspective too, as a kind of an underdog type of football player, it can be gone at any moment. So it's never a case of where I don't have to put the work in or I don't have to show up on this day. I can just, you know, skate by. That was never a reality for me. Uh, Every day I had to show up and work harder than the guy next to me because, you know, I wasn't the biggest guy. You know, I could run fast, but, you know, I always felt like they were looking for somebody to take my spot unless I proved to them that I was the guy. Right, right.
0: So you come across as one of these individuals then – uh, that understands the importance of having a good circle and maybe from a very young age. Are you someone that has kind of the, the good friends that you had when you were a teenager or kind of people that are still in your life now?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, like I said, my, you know, my wife, we started dating in high school and we've been together ever since. Um, you know, one of my best friends that I talked to today, uh, he was the best, one of the best men at my wedding. And like, we started playing football together, I think when I was 15 or 16 and his dad coached me when I was like 10. Uh, so I've known him forever. Um, there's a, it's a lot of the same guys, you know, the, one of my very first roommates at college those one of the guys that I keep in touch with the most today. So it's, you know, it's, It's not about having a huge number, it's about having the right number and having the right people around to um, that that bring value to your life uh, and don't bring negativity and that, you know, accept you for who you are and don't expect you to be the football star all the time or this guy or that guy, just, hey, it's just Pat and we're cool with that.
0: Yeah, who are some of your mentors?
1: Um, you know what, I think, you know, early football coaches were really big for me, um, in terms of learning how to, um, you know, I think treat people and, you know, early on, give me a a love of the game and a love of hard work. Um, Certainly my parents were big, you know, we, uh, they always worked hard and and, uh, were able to sacrifice certain things to make sure that we had what we needed in terms of getting me to football practices and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then, you know, in, uh, when I was in high school, I actually had a football coach who had played uh, NCAA football and he was the first one that kind of put the bug in my ear that, Hey, you know what? Like you're, you're a pretty good football player right now. You have this potential to go get a scholarship and play in the NCAA and do this, um, and so that was huge because I had honestly never thought of doing that uh, at the time. I was thinking I was like 14 or 15, um, and so that you know, like I said a few minutes ago, that then became the goal that I was now going to go shoot for.
0: Right. And so, were you into personal development and reading books and stuff like that throughout your career or on route to your career? are there some people that you can attribute some of your success to in regards to the knowledge that you've gotten from books?
1: Um, You know, I, I wouldn't say I was really into reading about that stuff. Um, I think I always, you know, I just kind of had a drive to to never be satisfied with where I was. Like I said, I've always kind of had that, bit of an underdog mentality and so um I was never satisfied with where I was and always wanted to keep improving um I, and I guess the one guy not that I really, not that he's in that situation at all but the one guy I always kind of looked at was Michael Jordan and I think it's just all the right. fact that he was the best player in the world and yet was still the hardest worker in the world and so that kind of thing I was like well I'm nowhere close to the best player in the world so I better be the hardest worker in the world
0: yeah There's a work ethic that you guys have as pro athletes, and you're probably the third or fourth uh, that I've spoken to, and all champions as well, and and high performers uh, like yourself. Right. And they all have the same answer to that question. And I think, number one, because (laughs) you're self-starters, Right. Uh, you're just innately motivated to want to do better because you know that someone else can take your job. It's a a simple, you could be a great player, go down with an injury and you just never get your job back. And we see that happen uh, all the time. And if anything, instead of going to books to find that knowledge, they find it amongst their own, right? You're actually the ones, you're kind of writing the books for other people. Individuals are looking up to you as being leaders right and and right uh, people that they idolize you know they want to catch that game-winning catch you know they want to get that 99 yard reception in the great (laughs) cup right like isn't that cool that you, you know you go from you know being that kid that wanted to do that to having other kids out there now wanting to emulate what you've done
1: yeah, it's, uh, it's a super cool kind of full circle deal. And um, when you when you're able to meet kids, and, and, and a lot of them now have had the opportunity to come up, right? I'm old enough now that some of those kids are now at that age where they're getting scholarships or playing in the pros and that kind of stuff. So um, we actually have a, a picture in our facility of um, when I was I think it was 2002 or three, I did a practice with the pros thing. And so it's a football camp for kids for the day. And I have a picture with a kid. And then he then became an athlete who came and traded our facility and, you know, went to Western University and then played for the Red Blacks and played for the Argos. And so it's been cool to see. You know, we have a picture or so of him when he was a little kid, and then now he towers over top of me, uh, you know, <laughs> about a foot taller than me in his pro uniform and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's super cool to uh, to have experiences like that and, and see how you've, you know, maybe inspired somebody to, to do great things with their own life.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I used to watch you play right like that's <laughs> <some> cool <laughs> shit i really like i fanboy out a little bit every time um <laughs> I, I can't I, I can't lie now if you could go back it seems like you know you enjoy the the mentoring aspect of what you do and giving back uh, you're a family man we're, we're going to get into that and you're you're basically your, your football team that you've created on your own <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if basketball you'd be able to feel the team um yeah totally you know what would be that that one bit of advice that you would give yourself let's say when you were what let's consider sixteen is a pretty influential age you know what would
1: you yeah. know Pat woodcock
0: today say to sixteen year old pat woodcock
1: um, I think from a From a practical standpoint, I would tell them to start training a little bit earlier um, because I didn't really do a whole lot in high school. And when I first got to college, I was definitely behind the game a little bit. So it would have been interesting to see, you know, what I could have done if I had not started behind the eight ball a little bit when I got there. Um, But more from a life thing, I think I would have told them just like, yeah, you're the smallest guy, but play with confidence. Like always play with confidence because you have the ability. Don't doubt yourself put forward your best effort every time and things are going to work out for you. Right. Posturing
0: is huge uh, in life and business and sports as well. Right. Puffing out that chest
1: uh, and being big. Absolutely. Okay. Now it's not just, it's not just about how people see you either. Like that, that translates into how you perform, right. When you carry yourself with confidence and you carry yourself with, with the chest out and all those things, like your performance will reflect that as opposed right. to when you go in kind of slump down and stuff like that. Right. It's, it's, it's very much how, how you see yourself as much as how other people see you.
0: Right. Not more. Okay. So now you've transitioned from football. You have that business and marketing background. Um, obviously, yeah. you're a super fit dude and being healthy and diet and all that kind of stuff was already a very big part of your life. Uh, and you yeah. turn CEO, uh, the Elite Man Method, and now you're helping other people achieve their goals. You're saying like, "Boy, you, you wish you knew the things then that you you did now." Uh, what's yeah? What's that number one thing that you think that people just in general are lacking, other than just motivation?
1: <laughs> yeah, motivation is a, a topic that we should dig into a little bit. But um, you know, I think they're oftentimes they're just lacking a plan, and so um, probably, you know, like you, if you don't, if you don't have a plan to follow, like you walk into the gym and you're like, okay, I'm here. So what should I do? And and that can be a frustrating thing to do. And even if it's not the gym, okay, I want to get in better shape. I want to do this. I want to, you know, change my fitness and health. I don't know where to start. There's so much information floating around out there, you know, diets and this workout plan and that, and like, where do I start? And so I think people, Um, get bogged down in that information and they get like paralyzed by the analysis of everything. And they just don't even get started. Um, And so I think the biggest thing to do is number one, just take action, do something, doing something is better than doing nothing. Uh, But then I think the, the idea is to create a plan, have an idea of exactly what your goal looks like. It's no different than anything else, right? Business or education or whatever it is that you're doing, you got to know where you're going and you got to know the steps you need to take to get there. And just showing up at the gym and doing random stuff or going out for a run twice a week is not necessarily going to do those things for you. Um, and you, so you got to you know, kind of lay out that plan and know exactly what each step is to get you where you want to go.
0: Right. Corey, the last guest that I had on the podcast, um, he's a spiritual guide and he was speaking on things in regards to people sometimes think that they have these huge problems, right? And there has to be like this huge solution. And that's not the case, uh, opposed to small daily contributions, right? And if you just make these small daily contributions over time, you will eventually get that big result uh, that you desire. So number one, have a plan, right? So what are some of these small daily contributions that people can start making in their lives to get them on that right path?
1: Yeah, so the uh, the easiest ones, number one, like I said, just move in some capacity. Mm -hmm. start doing something more than you're doing now. If that's going for a walk every day, if that's going for a run, if that's going to the gym, cool, start doing something because it's better than doing nothing. Uh, Number two, from a nutrition side, uh, it's important to know really what you're eating. So, you know, just like in business, you know, what gets measured gets improved Mm -hmm. and food is very much a part of that. If you don't know how much you're eating, then we don't know if you need to eat more or eat less or change this or change that because we don't have that number. So, track your food for a little while. Um, It's tough at the beginning, but it's something that gives you a baseline so you know where you're at to begin with. Uh, And then the the biggest thing that most people don't do is eat enough protein. And so add protein to make sure every meal that's gonna keep you fuller, that's gonna help you keep muscle mass, um, that's gonna help you be more uh, anabolic uh, in terms of being able to build some muscle and burn some fat and those type of things. And then another big one that most people overlook is go to sleep. Uh, Most yes. people do not get enough sleep and do not get good quality sleep. And that honestly will shut down everything. So you can have the best nutrition plan and the best workout plan. If you're not getting the right amount of sleep, especially as we get older, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen for you. It's now, too, it, all the restoration and all the recovery and all the good things that happen for us happen when we sleep. So you're going right.
0: So does that just mean getting your seven, eight hours of sleep a night, or does that mean being on a regular sleep cycle where you're getting those seven, eight hours or whatever it is that your body needs to rest properly?
1: Yeah, ideally, I mean, most most adults are somewhere between seven to eight, maybe nine hours. Um, And the best way to do it is to keep it consistent every day. So even on the weekends, you know, you want to go to bed and wake up within about an hour of what you normally do during the week. Cause it allows your body to get used to that routine and the restoration and the recovery and the, you know, the, the brain action can all happen when it's supposed to, instead of it, not knowing when you're going to wake up and when you're going to go to sleep and all those things. Um, and yeah, you want to sleep in a, you basically create a bat cave in your room, like no lights on, no electronics, right. uh, windows shut TV off, like all those things to make sure the sleep is as, as high quality as possible. Okay.
0: Now I, I used to dibble dabble in nutrition. Uh, through yeah. well, shake based nutrition. I educated myself on a lot of it to help people achieve their wellness goals. Basically, the kind of guy that I was. I'm the stepping stone to get somebody to you, uh, so <laughs> you can you know turn them into the, the chiseled body that they want, or just being the, the healthiest person possible, right? Because it's not necessarily about sure, your shape; sure. it's more how you feel. And I Absolutely. remember getting people to tell me what they ate, this and that. And this is going back to mindset and like. I can only imagine how strong yours is, is asking people to keep track of their food. And then like, you know, somewhere in there, I see like bag of Oreos. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? Like, how how can I help this person?
1: Not not, not even one Oreo, but bag of Oreos. The
0: the whole bag. So I appreciate your honesty and your transparency. Thank you very much, right? Uh, Now you come from a a team background, right? Like playing team sports and the weakest link, right? Is like, that's going to be where a team falls, And so you have this team mentality, and you have this individual that's just not on that level with you. And and I don't know how many of those types of clients that maybe you have now opposed to maybe when you were starting out. Uh, But you know, when you're when you're wanting it more than they want it themselves, that must be a difficult place for you to be in.
1: It it is definitely frustrating. And, um, you know, I think it's, It's at this point, you know, as a coach and as a trainer and those type of things, it's really about education. So I think a lot of a lot of people eat the bag of Oreos, obviously, because it tastes good and they want it and stuff, but they don't necessarily know exactly what they're doing to their body when they do that. And they don't know the difference between eating this versus eating that. And so, you know, when we talk about, okay, how do you want to change your body and how do you want to improve your health and those kind of things? It's like, okay, cool. This is what food does for you. This is what this type of food does negatively to you. This is what training does for you. And I think when you are able to um, help them understand the impact of the decisions they make, it makes it a lot easier for them to make the right ones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, none of us are perfect. And, you know, I tell my clients all the time, like at this point, none of us are going to the Olympics. None of us are getting ready to step on a bodybuilding stage or anything like that. So it doesn't have to be perfect. I think that's another big problem that, that people have. Oh, I've gained all this weight. So in order to lose it, I have to exercise every day and I have to eat perfect and I have to do this. It doesn't have to be perfect. And trying to be perfect is oftentimes going to sabotage you because it's not realistic and not sustainable. You just have to make a couple smart changes and make them consistently doesn't have to be all the time but consistently make the right decision and the new create the new habits and the new choices and over time those things are going to give you the result that you want it's not about being perfect and overhauling your entire life it's about making a small uh, a number of small implementable changes that add up to big things over time
0: right so let's talk about a couple of these things that i think people don't understand how bad they are now, I cycle <laughs> through keto and stuff like that. And um, the one thing that I see all the time is, you know, people saying, well, what can I have to drink? Like, as far as an alcoholic beverage, that's not as bad as, right?
1: Yeah, not
0: realizing yeah. how bad alcohol, like, alcohol is poison. <laughs> it is, it's, it's absolute poison. poison.
1: Uh, explain yeah, It's to, delicious poison, but it's poison. It is delicious
0: poison. <laughs> I love my beer, you know, and I yeah. too, like, I'm just looking for, you know, healthier uh, healthier alternatives but let's say for the person that sits down there and and they have that beer not thinking that it's doing all that much damage so just number one how quickly something like that metabolizes
1: yeah the thing with alcohol is it, it overtakes everything else right so the body prioritizes metabolizing alcohol and trying to clear it out of your system before it does anything else so any food that you eat or anything like that it just sits there and does not get digested properly and does not get, you know, uh, put towards burning fat or building muscle or any of that stuff, the body is only concerned with getting rid of the alcohol. So those, and and generally we don't make great food choices when we're having drinks anyways. So that food that you're eating, you know, is not doing you any good at all. Uh, And then in addition, because the alcohol takes such priority, people generally drink it in the evening, it messes up your sleep. And We just talked a few minutes ago about how important sleep is. So now you've messed up your uh, nutrition and your digestion, you've messed up your sleep. When you mess up your sleep, that messes up your hormones. So you wake up the next day and what are you you're starving and you crave all the foods that are bad for you because your hormones are all out of whack from the alcohol and not getting enough sleep. So it becomes this vicious circle of, oh, it's just a couple drinks. Yeah. And there's just a few calories in them. Yeah, but it goes beyond just the calories that you're taking in it shuts down everything else, it shuts down your sleep, it makes you eat more food the next day, and so it becomes a vicious circle of, um, you know, less than optimal function of your body, um, and then poor food choices and all the things that go along with it. So, you know, uh, I think for a lot of us, you know, alcohol is, part of life and everybody enjoys to have a good drink every now and then. But it's about understanding those things. Again, like I talked about education. So maybe you drink a little bit earlier in the day or in the evening at least, so that it can get out of your system before you go to bed. Um, You try not to eat while you're drinking or you make very different food choices around alcohol when you know you're gonna have a couple of drinks. and You just can't do it every day.
0: Okay. So now let's talk about, let's say, uh, sweets. People love their sugars. Oh, I'm just going to have yeah. a candy bar. Oh, I'm just going to have a candy bar. So well, <laughs> why should someone not have that candy bar?
1: Well, I mean, it, it all again, it all depends on goals, right? And so uh, it, it depends on what else you're eating along with that candy bar, right? Okay. Um, the problem I think a lot of people have is, okay, I want to have this candy bar, but what did I have for breakfast? I had cereal or bagel or something like that. And then I had a sandwich and stuff for lunch. And, um, you know, I haven't had any vegetables all day and then very little protein as well. And now I just add a candy bar on top of that. That's where, you know, metabolic syndrome and type two diabetes and all that kind of stuff. Cause you're just eating carbohydrates all day. There's nothing innately wrong with carbohydrates. The problem is we just eat too many of them and we don't eat enough of the protein and fats that we that our body really needs in order to, uh, keep it functioning well. And for us to be able to use those carbohydrates better. So, you know, when you're eating a a better diet overall, you can fit in a candy bar or you can fit in a piece of cake or I love pie. So I try to fit in a, a piece of pie when I can. And so, um, but I, eat, I also eat like 200 grams of protein every day. Wow. And I eat vegetables with uh, lunch and midday snack and with dinner. And uh, I don't eat cereal and uh, toast and bagel and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I think when you, again, when you know what you're eating already and you know what you need to fuel yourself and you make the choices that reflect uh, what your goals are and that kind of stuff, then you can find a place to fit that candy bar in. And that's, that's one of the things that my clients are shocked about is that I, I, like I, no food is off the table. We just have to fit it into what else you're eating and make sure that it fits with what your goals are at the same time. Yeah, people need to get woke
0: on cereal because cereal's just—it yeah. is so bad. And apparently, like it's like ninety percent of households, or like ninety to ninety-five percent of Canadian households, have cereal in in their pantry. It's just—it's
1: sugar. Well, I mean, and that's garbage. what we grew up with, right? right? Like that was breakfast every day. And, and so, you know, you heart healthy and all, you know, oh, whole grain and blah, blah, blah. Well, right. I mean, when you don't know any better, you don't know any better.
0: Right. They're basically, they feed that to cows, but they put that in a box for <laughs> to eat with milk from a cow. From a cow. <laughs> from like a cow. cow that's, that's, <laughs> and a little sugar up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's disturbing to me. Uh, the, yeah. the one thing I used to do for the people that I used to help in regards to just maintaining a more healthy diet was just saying no to things sometimes right yeah. and always going for what you really really like so i'll just give you an example i always used to use pizza right someone has yeah. a, an office party there's pizza there uh and you're trying to watch what you're eating and it's it's a certain brand of pizza <laughs> that you just you you're not even that big on but it's there and you want to eat it right i always say, right. if you can say no to that pizza number one good for you number two you've pushed aside a craving Be- uh Plus, it wasn't even something that you really wanted. It was something that was just brought to you, right? You're right. And then third, you might forget that you wanted pizza after the fact, right? But then to reward yourself, I never say cheat meals. I'm always like reward meals. So rewarding yourself for not having that spur of the moment pizza, go to your favorite pizza place. So you don't have another piece of pizza like you may have eaten at the office that you don't even like. And now you just want pizza even more, right? So being able to say no only get the the bad foods that you want from the places that you really like so you know that you'll be satisfied.
1: Totally. Not bad? And, and I think absolutely great advice um, because it's, it's just being conscious of what you're putting in your mouth, right? Like, like you said, I didn't even want pizza. It's just in front of me. I don't need to react to the fact that it's in front of me, right? It's not part of my plan today. I don't need that. I wasn't thinking about that. But, yeah, maybe I do want some pizza, but I'll go get, yeah, the one that I really like and really enjoy it. Yeah. Because if you eat that one, you're you're not even going to like it and then you're going to feel bad about eating it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you're like garbage. Right? <laughs> yeah.
0: That was me all the time. I'm like, "Oh, why did I?" <laughs> so I think
1: we all have those moments.
0: What's your what's your favorite kind of pie? You mentioned pie. Like your eyes are, "Ooh, pie."
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I really like uh, cherry; is really good. Uh, I love pumpkin at uh, you know Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff. So, uh, I, I really don't have a favorite. I I pretty much like them all. Just pie, <laughs> which <laughs> Just is a problem, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: so, so, you have a, a big family. You're you're a family yeah. man. How much of that family was established while you're playing football?
1: Uh, really, only my my oldest was born while I was playing. Okay, uh, she was. 2007 and then uh, 2008 was my last season. So everybody else has been born after
0: the fact. Right. Everyone, that's what you call yeah. them. Hey, everybody else. Hey, everybody everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it
1: pretty much. Uh, right. And so hey, how,
0: you guys.
1: How, how old are the kids? Uh, 14, 11, 7, and 5. Oh, wow. That's wild. And do they oh, yeah. take a liking to sports? Yeah, for the most part, my uh, my oldest daughter, she's um, big into lacrosse and basketball um, and and track. But you know, with everything going on, we've lost track for the last two or three years now. Right. Um, my son really likes soccer um, and basketball as well. He's the eleven year old, and then my seven year old daughter started playing soccer last year, and she's in her first just started lacrosse like last week. Uh, and then the five year old, he's been into soccer, and he's now starting lacrosse as well. So it's wow. uh we're, we're pretty active we try to get them we try to keep them occupied as much as we can and and obviously you know with my background and my wife was very athletic uh growing up as well so we, we like to get them involved in, in uh, as many things as we can expose them to things and let them find out what they're like
0: right and what's the what's the biggest lesson your kids have taught you in life
1: oh man it's it's all about patience man it's all about patience <laughs> yeah. and you know um as we've kind of discussed, you know, I come from a mindset of like, when I want something, I just, I work for it and I get it and, and that's it. And I try to, for lack of a better term, try to impose my will upon it until I you know have success with it and do it. And that's just not the way kids work. Right. <laughs> you just, yeah, they're, they're going to be on their own timeline and their own mindset and their own whatever. And you got to be patient and adapt and figure out how each one is different from the other ones. And, um, it's, uh, that you, know, you talk about ego that has been very
0: humbling <laughs> right and and what's your your top attribute you believe that has trickled down on them
1: um that's a great question um you know i think my oldest is starting to figure out the you know she's been very talented all the way along but she's getting to the age now where she knows that hard work is what's Mm -hmm. going to get me to the next level and where I want to go with that stuff. Uh, I think the other ones are still a little young to have figured that out yet, but you know, I kind of see that in her, in terms of, uh, the effort and the focus that she puts in in practice and Mm -hmm. kind of that, that innate competitiveness that, you know, she just wants to be better. She just wants to be better. She doesn't want to just be somebody running around on the field. She wants to be the best one on the field. So I think that, um, you know, that, that will serve her and them well in any avenue in life, right? The beyond right. sports. Yeah.
0: Now, I also want to ask you what your ideal client is. And before you do, yeah. I, I have not been a client of yours, but I do want to vouch for you based on okay. what I've seen because I follow you on LinkedIn, you're on my social medias, all that kind of stuff. And if people haven't figured it out already by listening to this podcast, uh, Pat knows his stuff. Not only does he know it, Uh, He lives it, which is very big. Uh, He's an incredibly articulate guy. You're very well-rounded and your mindset, I'm telling you, if someone didn't lose a pound, (laughs) which is obviously not the goal, but if they didn't lose a pound and they just got to spend some time around you, it's worth whatever this guy is charging. So what is your ideal client? How can they find you and what can you do for them?
1: First of all, man, that's awesome. I appreciate that uh, very much. Thank you. Um, So, you know, right now, my ideal client is guys like us, you know, 35, 40, 50 years old, um, busy with business and family and kids, maybe was in shape at one time and let it slide, maybe never has been in the shape that he really wants to be in, but is at the point now where he realizes the value of being in shape and being healthy and wanting to be operating at his best and providing the best he can for his family and his business and whatever. So um, those are, those are basically the guys that I work with and, you know, I work with each one individually to make sure that we've got them on the right type of workout plan, the right type of nutrition plan, uh, and obviously trying to fit it all into everybody's busy lifestyle and, and make it fit and work Uh, beyond, you know, a 12 week program or a six month program or whatever, but something that is sustainable and implementable for them in the long term. I am not uh, a quick fix guy in terms of, you know, I just want to help you lose 20 pounds and then you can do whatever you want. Like I want to help you lose that 20 pounds and then either keep it off or lose another five or lose another five, you know, and, and be able to maintain that. I don't, i 'm not big on the yo- yo stuff um, at this age, at this point in our life, you know I think that's really hard on the body and the mind right and and i don 't know about you, but i don't have mental energy to waste on that kind of stuff <laughs> like i right. I need to be at my best all the time, and I know uh, that I am at my best when I feel great, when i 'm exercising when i 'm sleeping well, when i 'm eating well. that allows me to show up for my family and show up for my clients and be operating at my highest levels. And I think, I think that's what all guys really want is to just be operating at their highest level and their highest capacity and being, and and that's why it's such a struggle because everybody, nobody wants to put themselves first and take time for themselves to take care of themselves. They want to be able to provide for their family and take care of their business and all that kind of stuff. And people don't realize that you have to do this before you can do that. Right.
0: Once a champion, Always a champion. You got that champion mindset. And we talked about the importance of having a circle. Well, why not toss this champion into your circle and get that champion mindset working for you too. Pat Woodcock, thank you for being on the program. Man, my pleasure. Great talk. And if people want to find you online,
1: where do they go? Yeah, probably, uh, I mean, I'm on any of the social medias. uh, Instagram is uh, Elite Coach, uh, all one word. You can just search up my name on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm on all three of those.
0: Okay, and I'll make sure to put the links inside the description as well. So again, thank you for your time and thank you for watching yet another edition of the Launchpad Podcast online at launchpadpodcast.com and subscribe right now or I'll punch you in the esophagus. (laughs) You take care, be well and love Simply Because You Can.